Mike check one two one two. We back. Got DMX playing in the background, free gaming. Been a minute, two weeks. Glad to be back. I hope you're glad to hear from me. Gonna be there? We gonna see that. Hit me with the question. Boo, that ass is gonna be there. You belong to cuz, couldn't belong to me. What's wrong for me? We gon' always be best of friends. Ah, love boo to the end. It's ripping me above. Niggas tryna give me Classic DMX. Classic DMX. I'm back. Back for another episode. A lot of stuff going on since the last time I heard from you. We had the election. Finally, the election. (laughs) Oh, man. I ain't gonna lie. I'm tired of talking about this shit. I couldn't wait for this election to happen. Even though I still knew it was going to be some BS after the fact. But, I mean, it is what it is. I'm definitely tired of talking about it, though. Tired of talking about Trump. Tired of talking about Biden. Tired of talking about Kamala. Tired of talking about Democrats, Republicans. I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of talking about us, black people, fighting amongst each other over this BS. All that. I'm just tired of it. (laughs) I've been talking about this shit all damn year. All damn year I've been talking about this. I swear. That's why you just got to go with the flow of life. Because I would have never imagined that season two of my podcast would have been all this. But, I mean, it's cool. You know, I've been getting a lot of... Getting to engage in a lot of conversations. uh, You know, outside of mental health and relationships and um, celebrity drama and gossip and stuff like that. Um, Something I'm very passionate about is my people and being a so-called black person in America. Growing up as a kid, I was heavily into black history. It was to the point where people were saying that I was probably going to end up being a historian because I was so, so heavily into black history and I was so passionate about it. So it's been cool to get, you know, to be able to engage in these conversations on the podcast and stuff about all this stuff. Shout out to all the listeners, all the fans. Shout out to my international listeners and fans. I have international listeners and fans. Yes, I do. I've had them since season one. And I've never thanked you guys, but I'm thanking you now. Thank you. So, I guess you already know what I'm going to talk about. (laughs) The election, Biden, Trump, Kamala, black on black, Republicans, Democrats, Shading black people, 
using black people, black people not getting along because everybody don't agree on Biden and Kamala. <sighs> Let's start the show. <laughs> a taste to consider podcast i'm your host Dirk silver and i'm back like i said you already know what we're going to talk about today yes we're going to talk about the election we want to talk about biden we want to talk about kamala a lot about kamala not because i'm attacking her but because of how i feel that the democrats as well as her are using her image, you know, to pull off the election win. Right now I'm smoking a, um, what's this? Let me get the wrapper. Um, this is a... Excuse me, burp number one, early. Perdermo Small Batch Rothschild, Connecticut Cigar. And what I'm drinking is good old Hennessy. I'm drinking good old Hennessy. I needed some good old Hennessy for this, this episode. So good. I love Hennessy. What else has been going on besides election and Kamala and Biden and Trump? Well, the PS5 has come out. <laughs> and there's been so much talk about it on social media. So many, we've seen so many people trying to buy the uh, PS5 and it's sold out everywhere. Today, I saw somebody that had three laptops up, uh, an iPad, and their cell phone up trying to get the PS5, and they still didn't get it. <laughs> Damn. And then you got people on uh, social media arguing and, you know, debating about um, people trying to get the PS5, talking about some instead of get a PS5, get your LLC, start a business, uh, buy some stock, um, don't get your don't get your man no PS5 if he ain't been showing you no attention this year. Blah 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 blah. Man, just let people do what they want to do. <laughs> it's not that serious. I swear. Particularly on the side of people trying to shame guys for wanting the PS5 as if and it's mostly uh women. <laughs> as if the women don't be trying to buy some type of shoe or some type of bag or something like that. Guys don't ask for much, particularly when it comes to uh, materialistic type of things. It may be just shoes or some type of electronic. <laughs> That's it. But um, yeah, stop shaming people for trying to get a PS5. It's an outlet for some people, you know. Personally, I'm waiting for the uh, Xbox. I was going to try to get the, the PS5, but I changed my mind. I'm going to stick with the Xbox. 
but I ain't going to be posted up on the computer and on the iPads and stuff, you know, trying to get it. I'll get it when it's when it's available for me to get it. <laughs> Cuz honestly, I got the Xbox 1 and I ain't I haven't played that in a minute. Shoot. It's probably coming up on a year. I'm just not into video games like I like I used to be. There's only certain games that I'll I'll sit down and play like Call of Duty or Grand Theft Auto um NBA 2K but other than that I don't be tripping tripping like that off of video games like I used to if honestly if I was you know if I really wanted to sit down and play some some video games for real I would honestly want to go back and play like some of the older stuff on the Nintendo and Super Nintendo and stuff like that or like uh Sega Genesis with um what's the band my name Sonic the Hedgehog and you know Super Mario on Nintendo, and especially Mario Kart. I love Mario Kart. I, I, well, shoot. I just told on myself, I have been playing video games. I've been playing Mario Kart on my cell phone, on the uh, Apple, on uh, the iPhone. I play that joint damn near every day, honestly. I enjoy Mario Kart. But it's just an outlet, a stress reliever for us guys. Um... So stop shaming people for it. You know, there's nothing wrong with playing video games, having a leisure activity. Everything ain't got to be so serious or business and stuff. We, you know, I I feel like people get caught up into all that stuff on social media because they they trying to show off for themselves. You know, they just trying to show off and have it where they saying, well, you know, I got a business and all this other stuff. But it's not that serious. Let people let people have their fun. Um, what else? Oh yeah, this was something else that I saw that I thought was um <laughs> interesting, but I'm not surprised by it, honestly. Let me uh pull up the post so I can actually read it word for word. <clears throat> Let me see. Um It says right here, uh, Ticketmaster to officially require 24-hour proof of a negative COVID-19 test or current vaccination. Boy, I promise you I'm not drunk. Vaccinate, vaccination <laughs> in order to attend concerts. Um, yeah, Ticketmaster about to go out of business. I promise you. If they stick to this, they're going out of business. For one, I'm trying to figure out who having concerts in the first place for Ticketmaster to even be worrying about all of this. Because the way the numbers and stuff been spiking up recently, a lot of states and cities are going into lockdown mode um, like they did the first of the year. So <laughs> I don't know what Ticketmaster thinking about, but I ain't surprised about this because I feel like this is coming for a lot of um a lot of places, even up for a lot of em employers, a lot of employers are going to put this in place. You can't come back to work until you get a, a vaccination or, you know, you get a test. And I think that Ticketmaster is honestly, they only put that part in there about getting tested, you know, just to alleviate some of the commotion. Because I feel like a lot of companies and stuff are just going to straight come out and say, if you're not vaccinated, you can't come back to work or you can't come in our establishment or anything. And this is about to be a hell of a situation where 
it might be a lot of um, blowback and protests about that because there's a lot of people who ain't trying to get that, um, that vaccine. I know I'm not trying to get that vaccine. I haven't been vaccinated in years since I was a little kid when I got the flu uh, vaccine. And I've never had the flu in my life, but that one time when I got the vaccine. And then now these days when they, you know, all the reports and stuff that you see on uh, social media about how bad vaccines are for you and what they put in the vaccines to develop them and stuff, you know, like uh, fetuses and stuff like that and all the harmful chemicals to your body and stuff. Nobody, nobody really trying to get that vaccine. And then you think about all the people who um, fought against swearing masks, how you... <laughs> People really going to fight against that vaccine. But, yeah, I'm not surprised by by any of that. And I'm pretty sure more of that is going to come um, as we go on. But it's it's Friday right now with me recording. Friday, Friday night, Friday the 13th. And tomorrow, uh, Saturday down D.C., there's going to be an alleged million MAGA march. <laughs> A million MAGA march, and I know they've been talking about the Proud Boys being down there. <clears throat> Excuse me, Burp too, and how there's a potential for you know violent acts and stuff like that. So there's going to be a lot of um, blowback and stuff going on from Trump. Losing the election. And. I mean you just. You know. Only thing. We can do is just. You know. Be vigilant. And you know. Be aware of our surroundings. And stuff like that. Because. You know. A lot of people aren't happy about this. I mean. Shoot. Trump is. Trump got over 70 something million votes. He. He's the second. He got the second largest amount of votes in history, you know, with Biden being um, number one. But last last uh, episode, I talked about how Mercury retrograde was, was over. Well, now today, today, Mars retrograde is over. Mars retrograde is going, uh, is stationing forward. And I've talked about Mars retrograde a few show, a couple of shows ago, but basically, um, you know, we're gonna have a little relief, um, particularly in the aspect of um, stagnation. Uh, Mars retrograde may put a put a energy over everybody not everybody so to speak but yeah everybody it put an energy over everybody where it kind of made you sluggish or tired unmotivated and stuff i know i felt that way um but with mars retrograde going forward you know things will start picking back up for people as far as projects um, any, any type of project you wanted to start or any project that you were working on, uh, 
you know, your motivation to pick back up, your energy will pick pick back up. And also uh, Mars retrograde uh, had a lot of people uh, angry and stuff like that. You were a little bit more anxious and angrier and irritable. And so, you know, that's going to lessen as well. So, you know, today was the last day for Mars retrograde. Um, I'm going to start off with a clip before I get into uh, all the election stuff. And this clip is is kind of long. It's like seven minutes long, but it's, it's definitely relevant. And I'm going to go through the whole clip. So uh, one second, let me pull the clip up. And I guess I can talk about the <laughs> what happened to me today. I was on my way to uh, get my cigars and... <laughs> Um, I got in the car and my, my little sensor came on to say that my fuel was low. So I was like, bet, all right, I'm gonna go to the gas station. So I started driving and (laughs) I'm like almost on the Woodrow Wilson bridge. And literally I looked down at my, uh, odometer and that just said, three miles before I run out of gas. And I'm literally about to be on the bridge. And it's gonna take me like three miles to get over that bridge. (laughs) I was about to run out of gas on that damn bridge. So luckily I was right there by exit. So I put in the GPS, the closest gas station to me. And that don't say like two miles or something like that. So I'm like, damn shit. I'm looking at the GPS and looking at my odometer at the same time, like, you know, making sure that it, you know, that it lined up. I got more miles on my car than I do on, on the GPS before I run out of gas. So I finally made it to the gas station with like one mile left. Who knows, you know, if I was about to run out of gas or not. And soon as I fill my uh, tank up and I get back in the car, and I'm driving, driving over the uh, Woodrow Wilson Bridge to go to Virginia to this uh, cigar spot that I always go to. And I'm like, damn, I got to go to the bathroom. And like, I just had finished working out before I left the house. And I was drinking a lot of water. And my bladder was filling up. <laughs> and it just hit me like, like a, a damn rush it was like I felt my stomach (laughs) filling up (laughs) and I swear I was about to pee on myself so I'm I'm looking around and to figure out where I'm gonna stop at to go to the bathroom because as soon as you get off the bridge there's nothing really there so then I thought about I was like damn the the gym I go to is is right here when I get off the um off the bridge so I was lucky I had my little uh key jump my key fob with me so i can go <laughs> use the bathroom and i had to hurry up and, and park couldn't find no parking i had <laughs> while i'm trying to look for a parking space i'm i'm taking my seatbelt off but while i'm trying to take my seatbelt off <laughs> i feel my uh my bladder hurting even more <laughs> so i'm like damn <laughs> am i about to pee on myself in my car so finally i find a parking space and I popped, and I heard him uh, 
get in the gym and I'm in there speed walking to get to the bathroom, the bathroom all the way in the back of the gym. So finally I make it and I'm just like, damn. Almost had two instances that would have not been good for me. <laughs> but I got the clip up. Um, let me play it. In this crooked game of power politics here in America, the Negro, namely the race problem, integration, civil rights issue, are all nothing but tools used by the whites who call themselves liberals against another group of whites who call themselves conservatives, either to get into power or to retain power. Among whites here in America, the political teams are no longer divided into Democrats and Republicans. The whites who are now struggling for control of the American political throne are divided into liberal and conservative camps. The white liberals from both parties cross party lines to work together toward the same goal. And white conservatives from both parties do likewise. The white liberal differs from the white conservative only in one way. The liberal is more deceitful, more hypocritical than the conservative. Both want power, but the white liberal is the one who has perfected the art of posing as the Negro's friend and benefactor. And by winning the friendship and support of the Negro, the white liberal is able to use the Negro as a pawn or a weapon in this political football game that is constantly raging between the white liberals and the white conservatives. The American Negro is nothing but a political football. And the white liberals control this ball through tricks or tokenism, false promises of integration and civil rights. In this game of deceiving and using the American Negro, the white liberals have complete cooperation of the Negro civil rights leader who sell our people out for a few crumbs of token recognition, token gain token progress. In the New York Tribune, in an editorial dated February the 5th, 1960, they pointed out that out of 11 million qualified Negro voters, only 2,700,000 actually take time to vote. This means that roughly speaking, only 3 million out of the 11 million Negroes who are qualified to vote take an active part, and the remaining 8 million remain voluntarily inactive. And yet it is this small minority, the 3 million Negro voters, who help determine who will be the next president. If who will be the next president can be influenced by 3 million Negro voters, it is easy to see why the presidential candidates of both political parties put on such a false show with the Civil Rights Bill and promises of integration. They must impress the three million voting Negroes who are the actual integration seekers. And if so much fuss is made over these three million integration seekers, what would the presidential candidates have to do to appease the eight million non-voting Negroes if they ever decided to become politically active? They hold the balance of power. 
Who are the 8 million non-voting Negroes? What do they want? And why don't they vote? The 3 million Negro voters are the so-called middle-class Negroes or high-class Negroes or uppity Negroes who are referred to by the late Howard University sociology professor E. Franklin Frazier as the black bourgeoisie who have been educated to think as patriotic individualists with no racial pride whatsoever, who believe in and look forward to the future integrated intermarried society that is constantly being promised to them by the Negro politician. And therefore, this integration-minded three million minority remain an active part of the white-controlled political parties. But it must never be overlooked that these three million Negro integration seekers are only a small minority of the 11 million qualified Negro voters. The 8 million non-voting Negroes are the majority, the downtrodden black masses. They have refused to vote. They've refused to take a part in politics because they reject the Uncle Tom approach of the clergy politician leadership that has been handpicked for the, for the so-called Negroes by the white man himself. This clergy politician leadership does not speak for the Negro majority. They don't speak for the black masses. They speak for the black bourgeoisie, the brainwashed, white-minded, middle-class minority, who because they are ashamed of their race, because they are ashamed of being black, and don't want to be identified with black, they are seeking to lose this black identity by mixing and mingling and intermarrying and integrating with the white society. The race problem cannot be solved by listening to the white-minded, brainwashed minority. The white man must try to learn what the black majority wants. The president would be wise to try and learn what the black masses want. And the only way to find this out is by listening to the man who speaks for the black masses. And I can declare to you tonight and to the entire world that the man here in America who speaks for the majority, the downtrodden, dissatisfied black masses, is this same man who so many thousands of our people are flocking toward to see and hear. This same Mr. Muhammad, who is labeled by you as a black supremacist and as a racist and as an extremist. If the three million middle-class Negroes are casting their ballots for integration and intermarriage, what do the non-voting black masses who are in the majority want? Find out what the black masses want, and then perhaps America's grave race problem can be solved. And that was the late, great <clears throat> Malcolm X. Uh, speaking on white liberals and conservatives and I mean what what can you say if if you if you are as James Baldwin would say relatively conscious a relatively conscious black person you will understand that what Malcolm X said in those seven minutes 
is still relevant to the times that we are in right now. The unfortunate thing I feel is that we don't necessarily have any alpha black alpha leaders today as we did back in those times, the civil rights times. You think about Malcolm Martin and all of them. Um, Elijah Muhammad, you know, and even past, you have W.E.B. Du Bois and, and them. I feel like now, you know, it's just everything is just scattered around when it comes to uh, so-called black people in America. Um, the politicians back then would use, as you know, Malcolm said, you know, clergymen and stuff like that uh, to pull black voters and stuff in. But today, particularly the Democrats, the, the liberals are using now today they're using celebrities, black celebrities to pull us in. And it's unfortunate because. It's just really unfortunate. <laughs> I mean, I get annoyed and irritated by a lot that that's going on today. I've talked about it in plenty of episodes this year, um, especially when it comes to the Willie Lynch theory and the Willie Lynch syndrome. Um, and I feel like I prophesized a lot of what's going on and going on today this year in my episodes, like I've shocked myself with all the stuff that's been going on. Cause it seemed like that is it's being projected more. You know, in twenty twenty the the projection of the Willie Lynch theory and the Willie Lynch syndrome is being projected more and more when it comes to uh, the black community, um, black men versus black women. Um, it's sad. I mean, I waited a while to record this episode because after the election was over, I planned to. Re I, I was going to plan to record last Friday, but there wasn't any re election results yet, and then it wound up, you know, happening um, Friday evening, Friday night, or something, uh, where they actually projected um, Joe Biden will win the election, and I told myself, just you know, just just wait, just wait, wait to. The dust settles. And I also wanted to wait because I was irritated. I was irritated and I wasn't angry. I was just irritated to see the way that people were celebrating in the streets that weekend. Saturday, Sunday, people were down D.C. and stuff celebrating. And, you know, I saw so many black people celebrating downtown and 
on social media and stuff, talking about some we did it and, you know, all this other stuff. And it just, it irritated me. <laughs> it made me mad. Well, I guess, yeah, I, well, shit, I guess I was mad. I guess I was mad. Because I just, it was like we were under dictator dictator rule or something. The way people were celebrating in the streets. And me as a black man, I'm thinking to myself, you know, okay, Trump, yeah, he was saying a lot of things that was racist, doing a lot of things that was racist, had a racist base, doing a lot of things that made him, portrayed him as a bigot and stuff like that. But to me, I wasn't shocked. I wasn't angry or anything about that. I mean, that's what I expect. That's what I expected. Particularly from Republicans, conservatives, you know, they're more out open with their with their racist acts and their racist talk. And I've talked about it on the episodes before, a couple of uh, senators and the things that they said. Like, I wasn't surprised, so. But it's like with the Democrats, the liberals, just as Malcolm said, they do it in a sneaky way. They do it in a conniving way. They do it in an undercover way. Very undercover. And this is just like, they always do the pandering stuff, you know, when it comes to black people. You got the hot sauce stuff, you got the playing basketball, you got the breakfast club interviews. That's, you know, that's the marketing one-on-one. Democrats are brilliant marketers when it comes to pulling in the black vote. <laughs> You know, they cater to our emotional and cultural heartstrings, so to speak. They, you know what I'm saying? It's like they they put the bait on the hook and they just they just sit it out there. They know they know the bait that we like, you know. They they get that they get the live bait. They get them nice, nice little uh chunky size guppies. Put them on the hook, because they know we like those. Sitting in the water, they ain't even paying attention. They know we gonna bite it. You know, it's just a matter of time. And it's just, I guess the reason why I get irritated the most is because it's like right in front of our face and we have you can find any you can find anything you want to these days. We're in the information age. Any every any and everything is on Google. You can find any and everything on Google when it comes to <laughs> information. And it's like majority of the black people don't want to see the truth. <laughs> Excuse me. The Democrats or or the liberals, as you can call them as well, they're just 
more strategic and covert in the way that they do things. And just like Malcolm said, it's conservatives even on the Democratic side. And they have the same viewpoints as the conservatives on the Republican side and vice versa when it comes to liberal. And I've said it before. These are two different two different wings on the same bird. This is a they're on the same page. They want pretty much the same thing. They want the power. They want the rule. But when it comes down to it, they basically want the same collective thing to control, to have that power and stuff. So it's like we can't trust neither one of them. But we choose to trust the Democrats for some odd reason. And when I think about, excuse me, when I think about the Willie Lynch theory and when it was written, it was written like in the 1700s. And <clears throat> the guy that, that wrote it, he came over here from the Caribbeans <clears throat> to talk to the slave owners who were who wanted to learn how to better control their slaves. And in the South at that time, the majority of the people who were slave owners and had any type of wealth or any type of political power were Democrats. So this is something that's been, this Willie Lynch theory has been passed down the way that they keep us under their control to keep giving them our votes and stuff. I personally feel like, you know, you see black people out here saying we should start our own political party and other stuff like that. That's cool. That can be that can be a way. No, I don't I don't disagree with that. I'm currently an independent. I registered as an independent a few years ago. I registered as an independent when Obama won his second term and when I was when I when my eyes was actually open to the fact that he wasn't doing anything for us and he wasn't going to do anything for, for us. He was just a figurehead. Because I, I was, you know, I was caught up when Obama was, was elected his first term. I was excited. I mean, as a black man to see another so-called black man be a president, someone with a similar skin tone as me. But as we say, all skin folk ain't our kin folk. But yeah, I was registered a Democrat at first, but I became an independent. And I didn't become an independent because I was going to sit out, sit out and just be like, you know, um, I'm going to vote for Republican now. I'm an independent for the simple fact that I'm an independent thinker and I'm not going to hold my allegiance to somebody or to a party that isn't <clears throat> that isn't giving me and my people anything at all, you know?
Because under, under Obama, we was going through the same stuff as, that we were going through under Trump. Obama just wasn't sitting there saying racist stuff or whatever. Black people that looked like me were still getting killed. Black women were still getting killed and harassed by the police. The white people was harassing. Random white people was harassing people. You know, the Kearns, as they say, was out there. You know, this, this wasn't nothing... <coughs> This wasn't nothing new. So I'm going to play another clip that's uh, relevant. And let me pull that up. <clears throat> and I'm only just starting, by the way. Let me pull it up. Here it go. And, uh, maybe you could finally get back to normal. And when I hear things... I'm sorry. Let me... Uh... I messed that up. Let me, let me pull it back up. Technical difficulties when you're trying to pull stuff off of social media. But here we go. The caption on this says, a CNN commentator said, maybe, maybe we can get back to normal. But what's normal? When Obama was president, I was marching for Trayvon Martin fresh out of college. So here goes the clip. Commentator on CNN said, uh, maybe you could finally get back to normal. And when I hear things like maybe we can finally get back to normal, I think what was going on? What was normal for you? Because when Barack Obama was in president, I was marching for Trayvon Martin and Eric Garner, mm. you know, fresh out of college. So it's like, what was your normal? It was never okay. We had people calling the first lady a, a monkey. What, that, is that the normal we're talking about? Is that what we're going back? I'm confused. I don't understand. So, it's someone so, that you don't know is wearing black. Not okay. We still have a lot of work to do. And at the end of the day, everyone out celebrating, we get it. We got a blatant bigot, a blatant racist out of the way. But now we still have to do the work to dismantle the system that constantly oppresses black, brown, and indigenous people. Period. And what will it take to do that? We have to be uncivil sometimes. So we have to do civil unrest. We have to um, not be uncivil. We have to do civil unrest. We have to break down this unjust system. We have to base no no country was built on you know us just basically voting in presidents and letting the government do its thing. Not, nothing gets done that way. Black people weren't able to vote that way. Slaves weren't free that way. Uh, you know we didn't get our rights that way. We have to basically be out here and make this system uncomfortable for everybody who feels that it's comfortable for them, so that they can understand that it's this is what has to be done, so everyone can find a not okay. Just be treated like people. At the end of the day, we're just all asking for human rights. So you'd like to see people keep fighting? Yeah, we see people keep fighting. I'm gonna keep fighting. Everybody. Yeah, so <clears throat> yeah, so it's like you know, what now? You know, Biden's in office. Everybody's loving the fact that Kamala's in office. What now, though? I mean, you know, I feel like we just gonna go back to normal. It's just the same bullshit again. We just so excited about getting Trump out of office. That was the sole purpose that a lot of people voted. Which isn't a good reason just to get somebody out of office. No, our first priority should be what are, what tangibles are we getting from electing you in office? And then you hear a lot of people talking about, you know, well, Biden and Kamala in office now. We got, we got uh, you know, 
hold their feet to the fire. That's, that's ass backwards. No, you do that before you elect them. They in the office now. <laughs> they ain't got to do shit for us now. They in the office. You hold their feet to the fire before they get into office. You let them know. We let them know as a community, a black community. And I'm specifically talking black community, not people of color. Black community. We let them know you ain't getting our vote. Until you promise us this. You have to promise us this or we not voting for you at all. They don't have to do nothing for us if we not bringing anything to them. And they're already in office. It's the same thing with with Obama. He got in the office. Everybody was happy. A black man was in office and that's, that was change and we feel like we included, you know. <laughs> we have this, inlu- this illusion of inclusion. That's what it is. We, that's what it always is. We always have this illusion of inclusion. Even before Obama. Anything that has to do with a black person getting, being on some type of stepping stone... We happy about it, and that's it. With Kamala. Kamala is in office. Quote, unquote, the first black woman, South Asian woman as vice president. Cool. You know, I heard a lot of people excited about it. You know, particularly a lot of women. And that's fine. You know, be excited about it. It's the first time a woman has ever been in in that position. Great. I'm not disputing that. But when it comes to black women, and I've talked about this before, the way black women are praising her, I can't get with. I'm sorry. I can't get with get with that. And this is this is not an attack on Kamala. My attack is on the Democrats, the liberals, and how they continue to pander and keep us assimilated in this this mind frame of we can trust them we are assimilated in that I was sitting back watching the election and see everybody talking about, you know, votes matter and all that other stuff. You still can't convince me that all votes matter. Yes, some votes matter, but not all votes matter. And that's indicative of the Electoral College. So, I'm going to read this, what I, uh, what's on Wikipedia about the Electoral College. The United States Electoral College is the group of presidential electors required by the Constitution to form 
every four years for the sole purpose of electing the president and vice president. Each state appoints electors according to its legislator, equal in number to its congressional delegation, but federal office holders cannot be electors. Of the current 538 electors, an absolute majority of 270 or more electoral votes is required to elect the president and vice president. If no candidate achieves an absolute majority there, a contingent election is held by the U.S. Congress to elect the president and vice president. Currently, the states and the District of Columbia use a statewide popular vote on Election Day in November to choose electors based upon how they have pledged to vote for president and vice president, with some state laws against faithless electors. All jurisdictions use a winner-take-all method to choose their electors, except for Maine and Nebraska. They choose one elector per district and two electors for the ticket with the highest statewide vote. And that's something I actually learned for the first time this year about that aspect when it came to Maine and Nebraska. I never knew that. I think it was the simple fact that I learned about it was for the fact that we was waiting so long for Georgia, Nevada, and Pennsylvania stuff to come in that I actually had a chance to see Maine and Nebraska come in and so that the, their electoral votes were split. But anyway, the electors meet and vote in December. Hold on, somebody at my door. Damn, I forgot all about I was getting the grocery delivery. <laughs> it's 10 o'clock at night right now. I forgot I was getting the grocery delivery between 10 and 12. I'm like, who the hell is ringing my damn doorbell? <laughs> but, um, yeah, I was uh, um, reading about the Electoral College. Where was I? Um, the electors meet and vote in December, and the inauguration of the president and vice president takes place in January. All right, we know that. All right, um, it was something, yeah, um, it was something actually that I thought was important about the Electoral College. Um, let me see. All right. Okay. The background of the Electoral College. The Constitutional Convention in 1787 used the Virginia Plan as the basis for discussions as the Virginia proposal was the first. The Virginia Plan called for Congress to elect the president. Delegates from a majority of states agreed to this mode of election. After being debated, however, delegates came to oppose nomination by Congress for the reason that it could violate the separation of powers. James Wilson then made a motion for electors for the purpose of choosing the president. Later in the convention, a committee formed to work out various details, including the mode of election of the president, including final recommendations for the electors. A group of people apportioned among the states in the same numbers as their representatives in Congress. The formula for which had been resolved in lengthy debates resulting in the Connecticut Compromise and Three-Fifths Compromise, but chosen by each state in such manner as its legislator may direct. And that's important when it comes down to the, um, 
the three-fifth compromise, but I'll come back to that. It says, however, once the Electoral College had been decided on, several delegates openly recognized its ability to protect the election process from cobble, corruption, intrigue, and faction. Some delegates, including James Wilson and James Madison, preferred popular election of the ex-executive. Madison acknowledged that while a popular vote would be ideal, it would be difficult to get consensus on the proposal given the prevalence of slavery in the South. This, that's important. There was one difficulty, however, of a serious nature, attending an immediate choice by the people. The right of suffrage was much more diffusive in the northern than the southern states, and the latter could have no influence in the election on the score of Negroes. The substitution of electors Basically, well, what they were saying is the popular vote would be unfair for the simple fact that the majority of the population in the South were slaves. And back then, slaves weren't allowed to vote. So you only had a lesser amount of people of wealth and power and stuff in the South, which were slave owners and stuff. And you had more people in the North because of it was more freed people in the north. So that's how this whole electoral college came about. Because the people in the south, which were the slave owners and stuff, would be outnumbered by the people, the freed people in the north. So they would it would always be a majority of the people in the north having their interests and their their person, their politician being elected based off the popular vote because it was more free people in the North as opposed to the South. So here, here it comes with the three-fifths compromise. The three-fifths compromise was a compromise reached among state delegates during the 1787 United States Constitutional Convention. Delegates disputed whether and how slaves would be counted when determining a state's total population, as this number would determine a state's number of seats in the House of Representatives and how much it would pay in taxes. The compromise counted three out of every five slaves as people, giving the southern states a third more seats in Congress and a third more electoral votes than if slaves had been ignored, but fewer than if slaves and free people had been counted equally. The compromise was proposed by Delegate James Wilson and second by Charles Pickney. In the U.S. Constitution, the three-fifths compromise is part of Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3. Section 2 of the 14th Amendment, Amendment 1868, later superseded this clause and (laughs) explicitly repealed the compromise. So that's the reason why the Electoral College is is in play, period. And that's why there's so much controversy about it now. The the slave owners and stuff, the people in power in the South that was part of slavery, you know, they didn't want the popular vote to be the basis for the president being in office because they would lose every time and their voices, their so-called voices wouldn't be heard. And all this stuff led to the Civil War, blah, 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 you know. (laughs) So, like I was saying with the uh, Willie Lynch theory, 
and the Willie Lynch syndrome or whatever, the majority of the people in the South back then were Democrats. So it's like, like I already said, it's like they've been using this, this plan, this, this theory for centuries. It's nothing new. They're using the same playbook for centuries. And we still, we still in mental slavery. <laughs> we still in mental slavery. I mean, there's nothing more to say about that. You got them trying to divide. Still, even after the election is over with, they still trying to divide black men and black women based off of this theory. You know, they they coming out, the Democrats are coming out praising black women and stuff for winning this election. Not mentioning nothing about black men. They they're actually mentioning Latinos, Latino Latino men before they even mentioning black men. They trying to put this cloud over black men because 2018 or 20% of black men voted for Trump. Discounting the fact that 80% of black men voted for Biden and, and hers, you know, and I think it was like 96 or 98 percent of black women voted for Biden and uh, hers. So they still trying to push this this narrative or push this this divide between black men and black women. You had Kamala Harris. She tweeted out and she said, I want to speak directly to the black women in our country. Thank you. You are too often overlooked, and yet are asked time and again to step up and be the backbone of our democracy. We cannot have done this without you. All that stuff is purposely, you know, that, that stuff is purposeful. 80% of black, black male voters went out and supported the Democrats, but they ain't say nothing about black men at all. 80%. The Democrats wouldn't have won the election if it wasn't for black men and women, black women and black men voting majority for the Democrats. You may say that 18 to 20 percent of black men that voted for Trump. uh tired of the bullshit or maybe they brainwash who knows shit we both when it comes down to it if you voting if you if you're black this is just how i feel and i'm prefacing this by saying and i had a whole episode titled this i am not endorsing trump i didn't vote for trump Black men and black women. I had to take a pause there because <laughs> I ain't want to get too hype. <laughs> That's that Hennessy. But um, seriously, nah. Um, in my eyes, I just feel like black men and black women, we shouldn't be voting for nobody because we're not getting nothing from it. You know, we're not getting f nothing from nobody. We're voting. And. What I found interesting was uh, Eva Longoria. 
she came out and was saying that, you know, Latinas are the real heroines of the election and stuff. She went on MSNBC and said all that stuff. And then she had to go on an apology tour because she got called out for that shit because she was trying to minimize black women being the quote unquote heroes of the Democratic Party being elected into office for the, excuse me, excuse me, for the presidential election. And it's just like, outside of black people, other minorities are just so caught up into this, this, this uh, illusion of inclusion, (laughs) you know? But yeah, we, it's, (laughs) I'm kind of like, I'm looking at my outline and I'm just, I'm trying to stay in the down, um, how should I say it? I'm trying to stay down the, a good path and not go off. Cause I'm going to be jumping all over the place because just bear with me. I'm, I might be jumping all over the place with some of this. Yeah, but, you know, the narrative is that, you know, black women were the heroes of the Democratic Party, but they're basically saying that, you know, black men didn't help at all. When in fact, you know, black men voted Democrat at a greater rate than white, Asian, Latino, Latinx, Hispanic, all those people. Black men even voted at a higher rate than white women did for the Democrats. You know, that's something that that's not talked about at all. You know, it's just a a situation where they just like f them 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 niggas. <laughs> you know, Latinas they voted at a six sixty one percent rate for Democrats, and that's just Latinas. Period. Not Latinum like Latina men or Latina women. That's Latinas. Period. Sixty one percent. And the black men voted 80%. I'm just I'm just saying. Even after you have Joe Biden, which is Mr. Crime Bill, and you got um Kamala with with her uh her sketchy record. But I just I just find it I just find it weird that, you know, this just shows you that it's a game right here. When you have Kamala as the the vice, the projected vice president, but when she was um, doing her presidential campaign, she came out and, and said that she believed the allegations against Joe Biden, those sexual allegations against Joe Biden during those, um, during her presidential run. It, that just shows you that it's all a game, and that and that just that just says to me that people just want to see what they want to see, and 
see what they want to see and hear what they want to hear. It's just a basic illusion of inclusion. That's all it is. We get so hyped for some type of inclusion. And this this comes down to the um, when you think about integration and stuff like that. And I talked about it on the last show and the show before that. We, we be so pressed to be equal with a people who treat us like shit. Do we think we're equal to those type of people? Like we're actually bringing, bringing ourselves down to these people, you know? It's like, like I said, we will sit here and argue about our worth, our worth when it comes to each other. Black man and black woman, know your worth, know your worth. But we don't hold that same energy when it comes to other races and how they treat us like shit. Like we don't know our worth when it comes to other races. Or when it comes to the political game. We don't know our worth. We just want to be included. We just be pressed to be included. We just happy for some breadcrumbs. And you got a lot of stuff coming out now, um, you know, since Biden is the uh, projected winner, the quote unquote president elect. About what he will be focusing on when he, as soon as he get in office and stuff. And nothing that's being uh, projected for his um, for his office, what they're going to do when he gets in the office um, is nothing for black people. It may benefit us. But it's not solely for us. And I think that's where a lot of confusion and a lot of arguments come in. You have this back and forth between black people, you know, that just because something benefits us, it's for us. And that's not it. And I'm going to play a clip. And this clip uh, irritates me. I can't wait the next week when I talk about something. I'm gonna I'm going to appeal to the more uh uh what's the word I should use? Um uh vanity, the more vanity topics. But let me pull this clip up. One second. One second. Do you support reparations for black people? Well, listen, again, we had over 200 years of slavery. We had Jim Crow for almost a, a, a century. We had legalized discrimination, segregation, and now we have it, it, le segregation and discrimination that is not legal but still exists and is a barrier to progress. We have disparities around housing. We have disparities around education. We have disparities around income. And we have to recognize that everybody did not start out on an equal footing in this country. And in particular, black people have not. 
And so we have got to recognize that and do something about that and give folks a lift up. That's why, for example, I'm proposing the LIFT Act. Give people who are making $100,000 or less as a family a tax credit, which will benefit and uplift 60% of black families who are in poverty. So by default, it affects black families, but there's not a particular policy for African Americans that you would explore. But no, if you look at the, the reality of who will benefit from certain policies, when you take into account that they're not starting at, at, at the same place and they're not, stand, they're not starting on equal footing, it will directly benefit black children, black families, black homeowners. Because the disparities are so significant. So if we focus on the specific issues that have resulted in the greatest disparities, and we understand that that's part of why we're doing it. Listen, the, the reality also is this. Any policy that will benefit black people will benefit all of society. Let's be clear about that. Let's really be clear about that. So I'm not going to sit here and say, I'm going to do something that's only going to benefit black people. No, because whatever benefits that black family will benefit that community and society as a whole and the country, right? And I love what the, the interviewer had uh, asked her. She, well, what she said, well, yeah, asked her. She was like, so basically black people are going to get, you know, benefits based off a of default. Because that's what it is. I mean, and Kamala, she stuttered her way through her answers or whatever. And I wish you could actually, if you can, just, just go on uh, YouTube and just type in Kamala Harris and her support for reparations for black America. And just look at her. Look how she answered it. Look at her mannerisms. Look at the attitude. Look at every. Look at her facial expressions. And it was very telling. I mean, she basically sat there and said, I ain't going to do shit just for black people. I mean, if you look at how she did, like, anybody know, you sit there and talk to somebody, their facial expressions and everything, the tone and all that goes into actually what they're saying. And if you actually see how she looked, how she said it, the way that she was moving her, her head and all that other stuff, the, the frowns in her face, she was serious about that. I ain't going to do shit just for black people. I mean, oh, man. I'm going to play that again because maybe some of y'all missed that. I know. I'm sure y'all did. And like I said preface this this ain't an attack on Kamala I can care less honestly and I'll go into that after I play the clip but this ain't an attack on her this is just me pointing out what I see and what I believe are the facts stop did you know every time you shop on Amazon you're helping someone make let me pull the clip back up sorry about that oh man I don't see how people just keep getting caught up into this. I just, I just don't. I, I don't know. I know I'm different. Here we go. Do you support reparations for black people? Well, listen, again, we had over 200 years of slavery. We had Jim Crow for almost a, a, a century. We had legalized discrimination, segregation, and now we have 
segregation and discrimination that is not legal but still exists and is a barrier to progress. We have disparities around housing. We have disparities around education. We have disparities around income. And we have to recognize that everybody did not start out on an equal footing in this country. And in particular, black people have not. And so we have got to recognize that and do something about that and give folks a lift up. That's why, for example, I'm proposing the LIFT Act. Give people who are making $100,000 or less as a family a tax credit, which will benefit and uplift 60% of black families who are in poverty. So by default, it affects black families, but there's not a particular policy for African Americans that you would explore. But no, if you look at the, it, the reality of who will benefit from certain policies when you take into account that they're not starting at, at, at the same place and they're not, stand, they're not starting on equal footing, it will directly benefit black children, black families, black homeowners because the disparities are so significant. So if we focus on the specific issues that have resulted in the greatest disparities and we understand that that's part of why we're doing it, listen, the, the reality also is this. Any policy that will benefit black people will benefit all of society. Let's be clear about that. Let's really be clear about that. So I'm not going to sit here and say, I'm going to do something that's only going to benefit black people. No. Because whatever benefits that black family will benefit that community and society no. as a whole in the country. No, I ain't going to do that shit. <laughs> oh, man. But um, do they say these things about the LGBT community? When they was helping them when Obama was in office and stuff like that? No. They don't be saying that shit. Uh, where am I going to begin on this? All right, so, yeah, Joe Biden projected president-elect. And I know one thing that I've been seeing um, around a lot was that once he's in office, um, let me pull it up. Once he's in office, it says uh, Biden administration is likely to provide U.S. citizenship to over 500,000 Indians. And this is what I'm talking about right here. Soon as he get, when he gets in the office, like he, it's a priority for everybody else besides black people when they first get in the office. Like, even with that interview, like, there may be some policies that come into place that will benefit black people, but they aren't solely for black people. Like, one of them was the decriminalization. Another thing was student loans. Um, and that's something that'll definitely benefit black people, of course, but that's not solely for black people. Not solely for black people. Something solely for black people would be reparations. Something solely for black people would be uh, police reform. That's not even in, in, in the projected first things that he'll do when he get in the office. Nothing like, you know, nothing that solely benefits black people. Nothing. Even after we've gone through all this stuff with the killings and stuff like that and, and how the talks of reparations have been up for the past um, eight years. On started up around, it started up heavily around Obama's second term. 
But this is what the article says. It says U.S. President-elect Joe Biden will work towards providing the roadmap to American citizenship for, for nearly 11 million undocumented immigrants, including over 500,000 from India, and will also establish a minimum admission number of 95,000 refugees annually. <clears throat> As a largely immigrant community, but in some cases, with American roots reaching back generations, Indian Americans know firsthand the strength and resilience that immigrants bring to the United States of America, according to a policy document issued by the Biden campaign. It says he, Biden, will immediately be begin working with Congress to pass legislative immigration reform that modernizes our system with a priority on keeping families together by providing a roadmap to citizenship for nearly 11 million undocumented immigrants, including more than 500,000 from India, it said. So as soon as he get in the office, he helping out uh, immigrants, which is fine. I ain't saying nothing wrong with it, but it's a focus on immigrants and particularly Indians. And who is Indian? Kamala Harris. So in my in my my mind, I'm thinking, you know, when Biden was in the process of looking for a vice president, they probably had their list of people they wanted to pick based on who would get them in office, not necessarily um, who was the best person, so to speak. Um, so Kamala Harris was definitely on the list. Stacey Abrams was on the list. Um, Elizabeth Warren probably was on the list. Um, probably some other people on the list. Uh, so they looked at Kamala. Kamala, yeah, she was very, uh, she had a nice look to her. Um, she was a mixed race. Um, that was probably some of the main ones, you know. She was probably a good successor if something happened, you know. Uh, so she was probably, those were probably the things that they focused on. So they probably went to Kamala and, you know, say, yeah, you know, we want you to uh, be on this ticket with us. Kamala probably said, cool, but you got to do this for me. I want you to... Um, first, if I'm going to be on this ticket with you, when we win, if we win, I want you to, you know, um, give citizenship to my people, her people being Indian, South Asian people. Biden and them was probably like, bet. All right, cool. Let's do this. Because that's on the list of the projected first things that the Biden administration is going to do when he get in the office. From that clip I just played, that interview that she did on the, the Grio, we know it ain't got nothing to do with black people. So, yeah. So where do we go from here? And... 
I don't want to keep prefacing this saying that this ain't an attack on Kamala. Because this really isn't an attack on Kamala. This is a, an attack on the Democrats and how they continue to pander to the black community and how the black community is still caught up into this pandering. This pandering, this uh, illusion of inclusion, et cetera, et cetera. Bam, let's go. I talked about this on a previous episode and I talked about Kamala Harris and, you know, how it's convenient that at times they uh, identify her as a black woman and how at times she identifies herself as a black woman and other times she identifies herself as being Indian slash South Asian. And how I said previously that I feel like it's disrespectful to black women all over this this country, the United States, as well as the black women that I know personally. And I and I had to really sit down and think about this before I recorded. And I did a lot of I did a lot of thinking. I did some soul searching to think whether I was really like being a pessimist, if I was being a hater and all that other stuff. But I really had to sit down and think about all the black women that I know that I've came across. And particularly the first person that I thought about was my mom. My mom being a black woman and how how my mom struggled or whatever. And how I've seen so many other black women struggle. And I thought about my mom for the simple fact. I remember when I was a little kid, right? I remember when I was a little kid. And I used to always look at my mom's hands. And my mom is 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 brown skin, like a light brown skin. But her hands are real dark. As well as her feet, right? So... I remember asking my mom about that and hearing her talk about it and stuff like that. My mom, when she was younger, she used to be, she used to have to share crop. That's how poor they was. They was in North Carolina, Enfield, North Carolina. My mom would, would have to share crop, pick peanuts. Even my dad, pick peanuts, pick cotton, pick other stuff. And the reason her hands are not. Uh, uh, a discoloration from the rest of her skin is because of all the bruises and the scratches and the cuts and stuff on her hands and her feet. And I feel like Kamala Harris and other people, particularly the Democrats and stuff, identifying her as a black woman and stuff and all, you know, you having black women, you know, loving Kamala and stuff like that. I feel like that's disrespectful. I feel like it's disrespectful to black women that I know, particularly my mom and other black women that I've seen struggle. Struggle in this country from being poor, struggle to stay, stay in the middle class. Because if you... And you think about it, if you middle class, you're struggling to stay middle class. Middle class, being middle class is, is sometimes is, is worse, if not worse, than being poor. Because you're you fighting every day to stay there. So I feel like this pandering that they're doing with Kamala and stuff like that, that's why I say this is not an attack on Kamala. This is an attack on the Democrats and how they are using her. And... When it comes down to it, she's playing the game too. But I'm not pulling all I'm not putting everything on her. I'm putting it's this is a collective. But I feel like it's a disrespect to all the black women that I know, all the black women that I know that struggle. Yeah, she went to a HBCU. So what? 
I mean, the way that I look at it, I look like she was doing a lot of passing. You know, it's been, it's been, we know, we've heard stories of black people passing as white because they were so much lighter. We've seen the story of, of Queen, Halliburry played Queen. We've seen the Joan, uh, dang, what's the Joan, the black and white movie where the, uh, the girl was, she was, she was uh, real light-skinned. She was white. Her mother was black. Her mother came to pick her up from school, and she was embarrassed and stuff. I can't, damn, I can't believe I'm forgetting the movie. It was an old movie back in the day, but for some of y'all, y'all know which movie I'm talking about, but yeah, I feel like Kamala was passing. You know, it was easy for her to 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 pass in and out, you know, pass in and out of being black being part of the AKAs, going to a HBCU and stuff like that. You know, that's cool. But that doesn't make her black. Just like I said, and how we know, all skin folk ain't our kin folk. And we have, it's, it's a lot of black people that haven't had the black experience. You can have the black skin, the black complexion, but not the black experience. And I think it's, it's, it's something really special and profound about having a black experience that experience of 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 hopelessness it can it can go it can go two ways you can strive from it or you can be a victim of it and a lot of a lot of black people are a victim of that experience and there's some beautiful stories of people striving from it. I can sit here and say today, because of my, my mental strength now, that I strived from that experience. Not saying that I was poor, but I came from a family of poor people. Me and my brother have college degrees. My parents don't have college degrees. My parents were sharecroppers. They were sharecropping as kids. But my parents strived. They were success they're successful. They have their own home. They just my, my parents just paid off their home this year. That's that's success right there. Not based off of the material aspect, but how hard they work to achieve something. That's an achievement. And I feel like the Democrats and Kamala pandering this black woman thing is a disrespect to all the black women that I see out here struggling, that have struggled, that continue to struggle, that have to walk out their house every day and worry about some BS when it comes to um some Karen messing with them, some white man messing with them, some them being sexualized because of their skin tone or their body, you know? It was funny because today I've seen on social media so much about how Kamala used to date um, Montel Williams. And people just, I've seen black people posting it and loving it and stuff. I'm like, what the hell? They we would take anything, any type of thing that includes us and run with it. We are better than that. We are better than them. 
And it's like, you'll have black people, and I've done it before too. We talk about the one drop rule. and But I'm like, we got to get out this, this uh, perception of this one drop rule because the one drop rule didn't even come from black people. It came from the system of white supremacy. They used this one drop rule. They was using they've been using this since slavery times. This is the this is the white man's theory of what makes you black, the one drop rule. And we'll use that as black people, so-called black people all the time just to be included into something. Just to be included. And, you know, I was getting ready for this episode and stuff. I was doing my typical research and reading and stuff like that. And I was going through and looking up Kamala and her background and stuff. Even though I did, I've already done this before because I've talked about it on previous episodes. But I, I, I went and did some more research, some more digging and stuff like that. And I was looking up her, her background with her mom, her mom being Indian, um, her dad being Jamaican and stuff. And, you know, how our dad's family was from Jamaica and how they they owned slaves at one time and and how her and her dad even have a strained relationship. You know, Kamala's married to a white man. And one thing that I found interesting, because I I remember looking at the Breakfast Breakfast Club interview that she did, um, Kamala did. And I remember Charlemagne asking her about if she ever smoked weed before. And she was like, yeah, you know, I'm, you know, I'm half Jamaican. Of course I smoke weed. And I smoked weed before. And I'm trying to find the, the quote because I thought it was very telling. Um, I'm going through my, my notes now. Um, where's the quote? Come on. Where's the quote? Dang, where's the quote? Um, yeah, she said, she was asked, they say you oppose legalizing. Excuse me. Excuse me. Damn. I'm all burped up tonight. I'm not counting them tonight, so y'all gonna have to count them for me like y'all usually do and send me messages talking about some, yeah, you burped like this many times on the show and all this other stuff. All right, she was asked, they say you oppose legalizing weed. Kamala, that's not true. I know. Kamala, and look, I joke about it, half joking. Half my family's from Jamaica. Are you kidding me? Question, have you ever smoked? Kamala, I have. After she made that quote, her her father heard about it. And he said, uh, he commented on it in a publication. He said, my dear departed grandmothers, whose extraordinary legacy I described in a recent essay, um, as well as my deceased parents, must be turning in their grave right now to see their family's name reputation and proud Jamaican identity being connected in any way jokingly 
or not with a fraudulent stereotype of a pot-smoking joy seeker and in the pursuit of identity politics. That's very telling. Particularly that part when he said in pursuit of identity politics. And her father is not a dumb man. Her father is very intelligent as well as accomplished. He even knew by her saying that in that interview with the Breakfast Club that it was identity politics. And if you don't know what identity politics is, look that shit up. Seriously, I could tell you. I can't tell you right now, but look it up, please. People got to start reading and stop taking other people's word for stuff. Because I be seeing some crazy stuff that people be posting on, on social media about Kamala and Biden. And people just be running with it. And then I look it up or I already know it. And it be totally false. But look up identity politics if you don't already know. But that's very telling if her own father was able to spot Kamala being fake in that moment. And him being a Jamaican, he didn't want to even associate himself with smoking weed. And anybody who knows about Jamaica, the people who particularly smoke weed are the Rastafarians. And Rastafarian is sort of a a religion to the Rastafarians over in Jamaica. And he didn't even want to be associated with that. He didn't even want his family to be associated with that. So that tells you the type of person he was over in Jamaica. Not saying that it's bad, but he looks down on people who smoke weed. He didn't even want his family associated with that. He says, speaking for myself and my immediate Jamaican family, we wish to categorically disassociate ourselves with from this tra- travesty. He added. <laughs> I mean, that's very telling right there. And like I already said, they um they have a strained relationship. So that tells you right there uh, where her dad, her dad is coming from. And what I find interesting is that, granted, you know, we have black people all over this country. You know, black people are aborigines to all of the continents on this land. And if you don't know what aborigines is, look it up. Look it up. And I've talked about this before about, you know, that's why a lot of times I say so-called black people. It's sort of similar to when Malcolm would say so-called Negroes, because this is a name given to us by the, the, uh, the system of white supremacy. You know, uh, they say all people originated from Africa, but that doesn't mean necessarily all people's all people are necessarily African because you have white Africans, you know, the term Africa is actually a a new term, you know? So I consider myself an Aboriginal of this land, you know, um, I've talked about before how those, um, DNA tests are fake. Even the, the, um, the, peop- the CEOs of the company said they aren't 
aren't 100% accurate, so you can't really go off of them. But I digress from that because that's, that's going away. But, but um, yeah, so we got to stop looking at it as though every black person, like when it comes to, granted, every black person across the world has dealt with some type of racism or oppression. Granted, cool. But when it comes to America, it's totally different. We can't associate every black person to the same type of oppression. There are different types of oppression. You know, it's easier for uh, you have you have dark skinned Indians who are considered South Asian and etymologically they're actually considered Caucasian, because if you look at. Kamala Harris' mother, she classified she classified herself as a Caucasian Caucasian woman because ophthalmology in ophthalmology South Asians are considered Caucasian. But you know, I've been seeing these T-shirts and stuff with Kamala Harris on there with Coretta Scott King and Betty Shabazz, Rosa Parks, and stuff. That's disrespectful to me. That is disrespectful. They are not in the same boat. They are not. The term that they're using now with black, so-called black people in America is foundational black Americans. And they use that term because we were born, we were born here and we had a different experience than other so-called blacks in the world. And only we can't keep associating every black person as the same if they aren't from the United States, because it's just a different animal. It's just a different type of animal over here when it comes to our experience. And then you had uh, rest in peace to uh, Ruby Bridges mother. If you don't know who Ruby Bridges is, look her up. But um, it's an image going around of Kamala Harris walking. And it's a shadow of Ruby Bridges beside Kamala Harris. And that's that's definitely um, disrespectful as well. Because when you think about Kamala Harris's record, um, she prosecuted a lot of people when she was the DA in uh, San Francisco. She prosecuted a lot of parents as well as children uh, like Ruby Bridges for truancy uh, violations. Um, but, and just going back, and I'm thinking about, I'm looking at my notes, and I, I missed this part, and I told y'all I might be over, all over the place. And when I was talking about um, the Biden administration picking who their uh, vice president would be, who would run on the ticket with them, um, and I mentioned Stacey Abrams and, you know, Stacey Abrams, she's been getting a lot of uh, congratulations and stuff like that for helping the Democrats win uh, Georgia, particularly Atlanta. Um, and I remember speaking to my brother a few months ago when we was talking about uh, Kamala Harris and, and her being on the ticket and stuff and and how... I was just I was saying to my brother that, you know, Stacey Abrams would have been a, a perfect person to be on the ticket, but she was just too black. 
And, you know, I don't want to speak on what my brother said because um, he's not here. But, yeah, I was just saying how uh, Stacey Abrams would have been a great person to be on the ticket. But she was just too black. And like I already spoke on how Kamala, she was just the perfect, the perfect person. You know, she wasn't too black. She wasn't too black. You know, they would be able to use both sides of her to a degree they can pass her for her being a foundational black american as well as a south asian indian woman and that'll be a perfect bait for the black community particularly black women and it was um some stuff that i was i was reading about and just in particular about um Kamala and uh, race in America and uh, particularly for black people as well as Indians. And um, let me read through some of that. Okay, it says... um, She was, uh, yeah, she is, even when she was um, elected to the Senate, it says that um, she was, she was the only second black woman elected to the Senate. The first was Carol Mosley Braun in 1992. But her victory that day also represented another milestone that some of those same news outlets did not mention. And this is me showing that I'm not trying to attack her, but. It says she was also the first South Asian American person elected to the Senate. It says uh, a professor of public policy at the University of California, Riverside, suggested earlier this year that one of the reasons hers might be more commonly portrayed as black in the media is because of America's history of using the one drop rule, a racist practice that's, that dates back to slavery. That's something I already mentioned. Um, and this is not on and this is and this is what I'm saying right here. This is just not trying to put all the blame on her. This is the Democrats also, and this is because of the the um the white the system of white supremacy that's already in place where they will look at any mixed race person that has any type of black in them, they will look at them as, as black. And that goes like, you think about Tiger Woods, when he first won his first Masters and they made that joke about saying that, you know, when you win the Masters and you get your green jacket, the, the person who wins get to choose what they have for dinner at the ceremony. And they was making jokes saying that, you know, we were going to have fried chicken and collard greens. And, you know... They was already looking at him as being straight black, but just because his dad was black. But Tiger Woods ain't want to hear that. He was Kamalanasian or whatever the hell that was. <laughs> but that's just showing that, you know, this is not me putting the blame on her. Although she's using it to her benefit, but the, the system that's in place is already going to look at her that way. Despite the fact. But it also says when you had someone who is the son of or daughter of a black person and a white person in the South, they would have been considered a slave and not a free person. And that legacy continued on through Jim Crow. 
They will not have the same rights as white people if you had even one drop of black blood. So that legacy is, legacy is still very powerful. It affects not only how white people or American society in general think of black folks, but also how black folks think of themselves. And this is what I was saying, that we got to stop as black people using that black rule, that, that uh, not black rule, that one drop rule as a, a means of being included into society or, you know, the, the white society or the white supremacy, the white supremacist society. It says black Americans have historically faced much deeper oppression and systematic racism than Indian Americans. The Indian experience is nowhere near as central to. Um, let me catch up because the article got cut off central to American politics and to American life and history, as is the black experience. And the reason for that is what I already brought up about how. We can't keep including every black person. We can't keep making every black person the same thing. You know, you have your foundational black Americans and you have your immigrant blacks. So it is just is retarded. Um, I don't need apologies for me using that word. It's it's out of place for us to even be using the term of African Americans. When we're foundational black Americans, if you want to use that term, or you can use indigenous Americans or aboriginal Americans. It says, um, I'm going to go back. Black Americans have historically faced much deeper oppression and systematic racism than Indian Americans. The Indian experience is nowhere near as central to American politics and to American life and history as is the black experience. The black experience. Black Americans also face much deeper injustices than any other racial or ethnic group in America. They're more likely to be killed by police, and at the moment, they are disproportionately affected by COVID-19 as well as unemployment and the economic crisis. Growing up black in America is also a very different experience than growing up Indian in America, as Indians have frequently benefit benefited from model minority stereotypes and that's key right there it says the false belief that asian americans are smarter harder working or more successful than other racial and ethnic groups it's a trope that has been used as a racial wedge between asian americans and black americans and you can and you can look at that in so many different ways, like even with Latinos, you have your Latinos that consider themselves white and I call them white Latinos. I remember when I was in, in college and I was working a part time job and I was a contractor in, in the government building and I was working with a lot of uh, Latinos part, as part of the maintenance and cleanup crew. And it was it was it was crazy because even though I didn't know Spanish, I knew certain words. So I knew when they were talking about some of the black people that worked on the crew and a lot of them considered themselves white Latinos, white Hispanics. And 
you can tell that they look down on on us as black people. And that's how a lot of other racial groups look at us. You have the Koreans, you have the Chinese, you have the Arabs. They look down on us. Like it's just like we can't we can't win for losing, you know? We we get looked down upon by everybody based off of the white supremacist system in this country. This is embedded. Everybody gets reparations before us. Everybody gets loans before us. Everybody gets education before us. Everybody gets housing before us. Everybody. Somebody can come in this country tomorrow and have a business before one of us gets a business. This is how this country feels about us. And we continue to give this country our support. We continue to give these politicians our support. We continue to give, uh, we continue to try to be equal with these people. People love so much when uh, Michelle Obama said, uh, when they go low, we go high. We ain't going high. We going right low with them. We staying right there with them. If we was going high, we would be doing the exact same thing as our ancestors have done with Black Wall Street, with Rosewood, how they did in Raleigh, North Carolina, and the other places where black wealth and black economic and uh, black societies were being built up. Granted, the white supremacist system won't let us have nothing because they'll just burn it and bomb it down. <laughs> I mean, you know, let's be real. But <laughs> it is what it is. We continue to try to be equal with the people that don't give a fuck about us, but it is what it is. I mean, I'm just I'm just talking. Nobody ain't listening to me because I ain't supporting Biden and Kamala. But let me read this. It says, um, it says Diana Sanchez, a Rutgers University professor who studies multi multiracial identity in America, noted that research has shown that when you have black ancestry in your background, and this is seen as the lower status group in society, people will tend to criti categorize, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, this has been one of them nights where it's been a lot of burps, that's because I had pizza before I, before I recorded. Uh, it says, when you have black ancestry in your background, this is seen as the lower status group in society, people will tend to categorize you along those lines. Sanchez added that Harris's South Asian identity might be perceived as more higher status because of the way discrimination works and some of the positive stereotypes that exist for Asian American groups compared to black American groups. So she is likely to be char 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 characterized as a black candidate. And if, if society... If society, you know, portrays this, that perception of other ethnic groups being greater than black people, and we're at the at the the bottom of the totem pole. You don't think Kamala knows that, and that's why I said she's doing it. She's she's able to use this to her advantage. It's easy for her to pass as a black woman when you're in the HBCU, when you're in a in a, a black sorority even though the sororities and fraternities are greek organizations but i digress um yeah let me get back to the article um let me see it says we've seen it before when one person from a marginalized group breaks barriers and ascends to new heights they shoulder the weight of their entire community's expectations when a woman runs for president she is expected to represent all women 
When a black person runs for office, they are under pressure to represent all black people. And when a woman of color runs for office, let alone a multiracial woman who identifies with two major racial groups, she carries the burden of even more expectations on her shoulders. But Harris is just one person and she cannot be all things to all people. She doesn't need to neatly fit into anybody's box. And now her barrier breaking win of the vice presidency is also a powerful win. And yeah. And like I said, I'm not disputing the fact that it's, it's a historic thing, you know, for for women and, you know, uh, South Asian women. But I don't see it as something that's historic for black women because she's not a, a foundational black American. She's not an aboriginal black American. She's not a uh, a woman uh, that had to live the the true essence of a black experience. I mean, she went the high school I, I believe she went to high school in Canada you know to her her only experience of the black experience was going to a HBCU and being part of a Greek sorority so I mean I feel like it's a disrespect to black women I feel like it's a disrespect to ancestors to our ancestors for the t particular fact that you know you have black people shaming other black people for not supporting her you know, we always do this thing where it comes around every four years and we start bringing up ancestors like our ancestors didn't die and fight for the black family or ownership or reparations or land or, you know, black business and stuff like that. We, we conveniently use that that narrative of our ancestors died for voting. And that only came from the Democrats. I mean, you've seen it yourself when you heard Joe Biden tell Charlemagne the God on a Breakfast Club interview, um, you ain't black if you don't vote for me. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this is what I'm talking about right here. This stuff is plainly in our face and we will still <laughs> just say whatever. We just don't care. We just don't care. And that just shows you right there that we caught up into this illusion of inclusion. The way it come down to it, like, I don't care one way or the other. Like, the way that I see it. Like, I talked about it before. Um, I was laid off in 2016 when Obama was president. I lost my job. was worried about, well, I wasn't necessarily worried. I knew I was going to be okay because of my spirituality, but I lost my job in 2016 when Obama was the president. While Trump was in the office, I'm making the most money I ever made in my life. That don't mean I support Trump. That don't mean I support supported Obama. That don't mean I support Biden. That don't mean I support Kamala. All I'm saying is I'm going to be all right regardless of who's in office. And regardless of who in, who's in office, I'm still going to have the same anxiety and the same fear that I've had ever since I was a little kid. That I got to worry about the police beating or killing me. Or I'm going to have to worry about some white man trying to kill me or, or discriminate against me. It's, it's going to be something. But... I just look at it like I'm I'm always going to be all right. And I want to uh 
I'm going, I always end off on a song, but I'm going to end this, this song off and dedicate it to uh, all the, the black women out there, all the black women who struggled due to the system of white supremacy. And this song is uh, by Tupac, White Man's World, off the Machiavelli album. You know how hard it is being a woman, a black woman at that. In this white man's world, sometimes we overlook the fact that we can ride hard in our sisters. We won't be knowing the pain we be causing. This white man's world. I ain't saying I'm innocent at all this. I'm just saying this song. Dedicated to all the black women out there. Dedicated to my mom. Dear sister, got me twisted up in prison. I'm mission. Crying, looking at my nieces and my nephew's picture. They say don't let this cool world get you. Kinda suspicious, swearing one day you might leave me for somebody that's richer. Twist the cap off the bottom. I take a sip and see tomorrow. Gotta make it if I have to beg a bottle. Beating love letters late night. Locked down and quiet. Your brothers don't receive their mail. Best believe we ride. Eating Jack Mac, staring at the walls of silence. Inside this cage with it, captured all my rage and violence. And it's time I learned a few lessons. Never fall for riches. Apologies to my true sisters, far from bitches. Help me raise my black nation. Reparations are due. It's true. Caught up in this world, I took advantage of you. So tell the babies how I love them. Precious boys and girls, born black in this white man's world. And on the road, White man's world. White man's world. In this white man's world. Confess on me, adds on to the stress. Two gunshots to my homie's head, died in his vest. Shot him to death and left him bleeding for his family to see. I pass his casket, gently ask him, Is there heaven for G? My homeboy's doing life, his baby mama be stressing, shedding tears when her son finally asked that question. Where my daddy at? Mama, why we live so poor? Why you crying? Hurt you late night to my bedroom door. Then do you love me, mama? Why they keep on calling me nigga? Get my weight up with my hate and pay him back when I'm bigger. And still thugging in this jail cell, missing my block. Hearing brothers screaming all night, wishing they stopped. Proud to be black, but why we act like we don't love ourselves? Don't look around, but suck, check yourselves. Know what it means to be black, whether a man or girl. We still struggling in this white man's world. We must fight for brother We must fight Tripping heaven, 
ain't no cheese in hell Sister, sorry for the pain that I caused your heart I know I'll change if you help me, but don't fall apart Rest in peace to little Tasha, little Yummy and Kato Too much for this cold world to take, ended up being fatal Every woman in America, especially black Bear with me, can't you see that we under attack? I never meant to call drama to my sister and mama But when we make it, do better times in this white man's world Once again, that was White Man's World by Tupac, a.k.a. Machiavelli. Recently, I've been playing two songs. I'm going to go ahead and play two songs because I'm being impressed. <laughs> this one is uh, Hold Your Head by Tupac, a.k.a. Machiavelli. All boys in Clinton and Rikers Island. All the penitentiaries. Shout out to... Um, Separate the two podcasts, Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast, uh, Three Stars, Two Bells Podcast. Tupac moment over here right now. <laughs> I'm probably gonna play some Pog out that finish uh, recording. But um, all jokes aside, um, check out Three Stars Two Bars podcast, 
Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast, Separate the Two Podcast. Of course, I'm Taste to Consider Podcast. Uh, make sure you check out greatestiamblog.com. Um, I'm working on some things. Hopefully, um, I'll have those to you soon before the uh, new year starts. Um, yeah. I love my people. I love being black. And what I find interesting is, you know, I'm part of the spiritual community as well. And what I find is interesting is uh, about the spiritual community, they do a lot of blah, blah, blah about, you know, love, love, love or whatever. But they... Uh, Forget the fact that, you know, um, as Dr. Wayne Dyer says, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. So even though we're, excuse me, even though we're spiritual beings and, you know, love is the first and foremost thing as a spiritual being. But we are having a human experience and me being on this earth as a human, I'm a black man and I'm passionate about the culture I'm passionate about the community I love black women I love black men and I'm very passionate about us um, progressing and being beyond the oppression the racism and all of that I just want us to come together Um, first and foremost I want us to come together first and foremost I want us to be a, a collective group that focuses on our community first starting with our immediate families and it's trickling out you know in the community because it starts from the bottom and the bottom is the black family and we have to build the black black family first and that's why i feel like mental health is so important because we've been brainwashed we've been programmed for centuries and this stuff has been passed down you talk about um breaking cycles you talk about toxic masculinity you talk about toxic femininity all that starts from the mental everything starts from the mental it starts from what we think to our actions to the things that we you know the things we say to our actions you know And that's why I believe uh, mental health is so important. And that's why I fight so hard for uh, mental health when it comes to uh, black people. Particularly, uh, lately I've been focusing on black men because uh, I feel like black men are under attack so heavily right now because we are the protectors of the community. We are the providers of the community in terms of the physical strength and you know they fear us so much because of those physical aspects because we shield you know the next generation we shield the women who nurture the the households who who build the households up you know so that's why we're in an attack so bad um lately like in just this week alone, you've seen I've been noticing so many young black uh, rappers getting killed. And it's just like 2020 period has just been it's been a lot of stuff going on. But particularly, I noticed that, you know, a lot of black young black rappers have been being killed. And 
it's sad because I understand, you know, uh, when I was in my early 20s and stuff, and I talked about this plenty of times before, how reckless I was and how much anger I had. And that was due to, you know, my mental health, you know, my mental illness. I was angry. I didn't like myself. So, you know, it was easy for me to just pop off on somebody else who looked like me. Um, But, yeah. I'm very passionate about it and you know this is this episode is never about me you know trying to down somebody else who who looks like who looks like us you know I'm just I just I'm just tired of us getting played and us not acknowledging our worth when it comes to other races but we do it amongst ourselves we we got so much infighting going on but we got so much love for everybody else out outside of our community but yeah um taste to consider podcast follow like share please share the podcast um like um shout out to all my fans all my listeners uh internationally all my fans and listeners locally um in the united states um, if you want to donate to the podcast, uh, my cash app is dollar sign rip RIP 81. Um, you can donate to the podcast. It definitely will go to the podcast. Um, but yeah, send your keep keep sending your your suggestions in. Um, keep sending in uh your praises your thoughts on the podcast uh last podcast i got a lot of good feedback from it i appreciate you um next podcast it won't be so serious i i'm already working on the next podcast it will be on some uh (laughs) relationship stuff i i ran across a couple of clips that tie together about uh relationship stuff so i'll be talking about that that i thought was interesting So um, I appreciate y'all and until next time, peace, love, and soul.